Well, good morning, LifePoint. I think this is the quietest I've ever heard the first service um, before I've stepped up on stage, but uh, welcome. Hope you're all doing well. If you are uh, new and visiting with us for the very first time, again, we would love to connect with you. If you would text the word welcome to the number on the screen before you leave today. Uh, we promise not to bombard you with all kinds of information, but we would love to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, but hey, a big shout out to all of you who helped uh, yesterday with our work day. Thank you so much for coming out and kind of braving the elements. We had snow on the ground, but we proceeded with uh, all of the work. And we've got some, uh, some neat things that are coming to our playground, kind of finished up some space out there and uh, making it a little more uh, pretty for everyone. Uh, but also, we're going to create some shade for those of you for eventually when the sun does shine and it is uh, back to 80 degrees out there, uh, just for parents kind of hanging out, uh, create some shade for you guys and for the kiddos as they're hanging out in the playground. And then uh, we were able to just do some other things around the ground. So, so very thankful for all of you guys who helped with that. Just a, a blessing to, to work together. It's just fun to get people together to work and, and just the fellowship that we have in that. And so thank you guys for all that you've done uh, for LifePoint. If you have a Bible, go to Joshua chapter 10 with me this morning. If you don't have the scriptures, we will uh, have them up for you here along the way. Uh, but I think it's safe to say that every person here in this room this morning, uh, to some varying degree or level, desires for God to work in their life. Uh, I think everyone would say, man, I desire for God to work on my behalf. I desire for God to intercede in my life in some way, shape, or form. I think that's kind of a, a normal thing. And I think it's a good thing. Like we ought to desire that, right? Like we ought to desire for God to work in mighty ways in our lives, that that would be kind of a testimony, I suppose, or an example to other people, uh, for people to see uh, God working in and through us in our lives. I want that. I hope that you want that. And it's just a, a very natural thing to desire, I think, in life. And it was for Joshua. Like Joshua, I think, desired more than anything for uh, the Lord to work in and through his life. This man that was, that was tasked with leading the nation of Israel into the promised land. Uh, this man that was tasked with uh, leading the nation of Israel into battle, and probably most importantly, this man who was tasked with leading the nation of Israel to obey the scriptures. That was probably his uh, greatest task in all that he uh, did, and he really learned through trial and error uh, that he needed God's intervention, right? Time and time again, if you've been with us throughout this series, we've really learned that Joshua was learning uh, through his own errors and his own mistakes that, man, we need God to intervene if we're going to be successful. And the same is true for you and I today, right? If we're going to be successful uh, as a church and as Christians for the Lord Jesus Christ, boy, we need God to certainly uh, intervene on our behalf, especially as it relates to our spiritual battles, right? These battles uh, that we face constantly. And as I said last week, if you're here with us, I want to remind you again, we're in a spiritual battle. You as an individual Christian are in a spiritual battle. We collectively as a church are in a spiritual battle. And uh, as, as we talk in Christian circles often, our battle is really with three things, the flesh, the world, and certainly the devil. We're in a battle constantly, aren't we, to bring our own flesh in uh, subjection and submission uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that is a, a constant battle that every single Christian faces. We're in a, a constant battle, really, with the world, with uh, the world's ideologies, right, that are in stark opposition uh, to the Word of God. I mean, that is something we face day in and day out as a society gets worse and worse. 
uh, and we're certainly in a battle with Satan. Let's never forget that. He desires to devour you. He desires to uh, keep you from God's will. And so we're in a spiritual battle. The problem is we kind of go through life not remembering that, right? We often kind of go through life a little oblivious to that reality that we uh, are in this constant spiritual battle. And so with that being the case, here's our bottom line this morning. And it's the same as last week. It's kind of a carryover from uh, what we talked about last Sunday, but that is this, is that spiritual battles require spiritual intervention. Would you agree with that statement? Spiritual battles in life require some sort of spiritual intervention, that we actually require the Lord to step into our lives and fight for us. And we talked about some things last week that we must do. Like there's some, some overarching principles, some things that I think are necessary in your life. If, if you're one of those people who would say, man, I want God to work in my life. Uh, I want God to intervene uh, on my behalf. I want him to fight with me and for me. I want him to care about the things in my life and, and be present and do extraordinary things. If you are that person, I think there's some things that we must do. Like, we just can't sit back and say, well, I'm just waiting for God to do the miraculous. I think God expects some movement and some faith on our part. And so we talked about uh, some principles last week. And I'm going to just take a moment to kind of rehash those real quick. And then I'm going to share with you two more uh, principles this morning that I think will be very helpful uh, and very practical for you today. But how do we gain God's intervention? Like, is that, is that even possible you know, to do things that, that, that God might say, man, I want to work in your life. I want to come alongside you uh, in work in your life. I believe there are, and I believe there are things that we uh, see in Joshua's life as he led the nation uh, into real physical and real spiritual battles as well. And the first thing we talked about was that we need to heed the command, right? We need to heed the command. And the, and the command for Joshua is really the same for us today. In Joshua chapter 10 and verse 8, just as a way of a reminder, uh, the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, right? Do not fear them. And the them was that alliance of five kings that are coming together in order to fight against Joshua in the nation of Israel and, 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 and who are fighting specifically here in context uh, to the Gibeonites. And, and, and that was a command to Joshua. And let me just remind you this morning, that is a command to you. Uh, that is a command to us today as well, to do not fear. That we are not supposed to go through life fearing our circumstances, fearing the world, fearing uh, whatever we might face in life. We are not to go through life with fear. How, how many of you remember the slogan, no fear? Raise your hand. You remember you know what I'm talking about? You know, the t-shirt, no fear, right? And, you know, it's back of trucks, you know, that sort of thing. And we just kind of like go through life and we're not supposed to fear things. And, uh, and, and that was very, very popular for uh, probably a long period of time. But, but it's really true. Uh, if you're a Christian, you ought to go through life not fearing anything but the Lord. Amen? And so we are to heed the command. We said fear last week is really an unwillingness, isn't it, to believe God at his promises. And when we fear our circumstances, we're saying, God, I'm not trusting you and I'm not taking you at your word. And so we need to heed the command if we want God to intervene. And then we say this, we need to believe the promise. And this is the progression we kind of see in chapter 10 and verse 8. Uh, again, the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them. And here's the promise, for I have given them into your hands and not a man of them uh, shall stand before you. The promise, right? Uh, the promise. And the promise was there, but here's the reality. Joshua still needed to fight, right? Uh, even though Joshua had a promise of God, he still uh, needed to fight 
Uh, but he was left with a choice. Man, am I going to believe God? Am I going to trust him? Am I going to take him at uh, his word? And we're really left with that choice every single day, aren't we? Do I believe him? Uh, do I trust him with the circumstances of my life, uh, believing in him and what he has done for us? And that's really where our relationship starts. If you're here this morning uh, and you really don't know what it means to be a Christian or have a relationship with Jesus, it all starts with belief. Amen? Uh, it all starts with a belief in, in, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that he came, he is the Son of God, he is the Messiah, to die for you so that you might have a relationship with God. That's where it starts. And if you have not done that, if you have not repented of your sin and believed in Jesus, the Bible tells us plain and simple that you're not, you're not a Christian. But the wonderful news and the wonderful thing is that God is extending that offer to you every single day of your life, and he's pursuing you and desiring to be in a relationship with you, and he offers to you uh, his grace and his mercy. But the challenge for those of you that have done that is that, that faith and trust does not end, right? Like it doesn't end at salvation, but our life is like this, this constant cycle of, am I going to trust him? If you're willing to trust him for your salvation, do you think you can trust him uh, for every detail of your life? Uh, that's easy to say, but much uh, more difficult to do. Uh, and so do I trust him? Do I believe? Uh, all kinds of promises, guys, in scripture. Let me give you just a few as they relate to fear, uh, this concept of fear. Uh, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 31, a very popular verse, I suppose, says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? that Paul would have this kind of overarching idea in life that, that there's nothing that we ought to fear if God is for us, and God is certainly for you and I. Uh, write, down, write down Psalm 27, uh, verses 1 through 3. Read that later. Uh, and then in Psalm chapter 46, in, in verses 1 through 3, says this, God is our refuge, uh, and he is our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth gives way, and though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, excuse me, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, we're not going to fear. Imagine that. Have that kind of confidence uh, to go through life and believe God in that kind of way. That is who we are to be and what we are to do. Believe the promise. And then we said this, that we're to move courageously. That we're, we're actually to take what God has given us, the facts, the commands of Scripture, and that we're to believe them in our hearts and in our minds, and it's actually supposed to cause us to move, uh, to, to move into action, to take a step. You see, I don't think you can say you're a person of faith if you're not actually moving in the direction that God has called you uh, to be and to do. And this is really uh, what Joshua did. He went to Gibeon. Uh, he got a command, do not fear. He had a promise, uh, and he moved uh, with speed, uh, to, to go in to fight these kings. He didn't wait. He didn't sit back and wait for God to act. Like, God, I'm waiting for you, uh, you know, to open that proverbial door, uh, so to speak. He moved based on a command and a promise. And so is that you today, right? Is that you? Is that your character? Is that, is that our character? Does that represent who we are as a church? Do we move courageously uh, even when we don't have all the facts and all the answers? And I think God delights in this. I think that, that God desires from us to live that kind of way. In fact, let me give you a, a verse that I absolutely love in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, meaning he's looking and he's watching and he's aware of your life and he's aware of everything that happens here at LifePoint Church. And he, he looks throughout the whole earth to give strong support 
to those whose heart is blameless toward him. I love that, don't you? That God looks for those who have a complete heart. That word blameless means to be perfect and complete. That you have a desire to serve God, love God, worship him, obey him. And God says, I want to give you strong support. That is amazing. And that's what Joshua did. Uh, he lived that kind of way. He wasn't perfect, uh, but he certainly exemplified that many, many times. And in the context of chapter 10, man, they marched, if you remember last Sunday, they marched 20 miles through the night uh, to perform God's will. They, they marched toward the enemy, uh, not away from the enemy. And, and boy, do we need hearts like that today, don't we? We need to be people who move forward courageously by faith for the Lord uh, not away from the fight, but towards the fight, okay? Let me give you two more principles today. And this is found in verses 18, uh, 8 through 15. Uh, and I think it's going to be very practical and very helpful to you this morning. But let's read our text together and uh, see what we can discover. Uh, verse number 8, kind of rehashing where we've been, it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them. Again, that alliance of kings. Uh, For I have given them into your hands, and not a man of them shall stand before you. And so Joshua came upon them suddenly. There's his faith in action, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord, verse 10, threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them. Israel struck them because of that panic uh, with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Azekah and Makedah. And as they fled before Israel, look what God does. While they're going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. And then notice this next phrase, and we'll come back to it later. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel uh, killed with a sword. Uh, And at that time, verse 12, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he he said in the sight of Israel, this is his prayer, and he's asking God for something. And notice what he says. Uh, He says, sons, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Aijalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? Uh, The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry uh, to set for about a whole day. And there has not been a day like it or uh, before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. And so they returned uh, to the camp at Gilgal. Two things uh, that I want to point out to you and I this morning, talking about spiritual intervention. So what we're talking about this morning, that spiritual intervention or spiritual battles require spiritual intervention. If you're going to succeed, if you're going to win the battles in your life over temptation, over sin, uh, over relationship struggles, and all the things that we struggle with in life, if you're going to win those battles, they require God intervening on your behalf. And so what is our responsibility? What are the things that we must do? Heed the command, believe the promise, right? Move courageously. Well, here's the third, or excuse me, the fourth thing that we're going to talk about this morning, and it's what Joshua did, and I think he leaves you and I an example today, and that is is that he prayed boldly. We need to pray boldly. We underestimate prayer. Like the moment the preacher says prayer, we all kind of have this feeling, don't we? This emotion that probably comes up that we often feel this, and we say this like, I don't pray enough, Uh, I don't pray as I should, and I underestimate the power of prayer. Did you know that God wants you to pray? Uh, We often hear this argument, well, God's sovereign, he's in control, he knows, so why do I need to pray? Because he wants you to partner with him in the work that he's already doing. And he wants you to go to him as a good father and trust him and say, God, I need you desperately to work on my behalf. We need to pray boldly. And this is what Joshua does in verse, uh, verses uh, uh, 11, or excuse me, 12 and, and on. 
Notice it again. At the time, uh, Joshua spoke to the Lord. I want you to just stop there, maybe underline that phrase, Joshua spoke to the Lord. If we're honest about Joshua, we would probably say, and I would imagine Joshua would say to us today, you know, I didn't always do that. Uh, in, in fact, uh, a, a few chapters before, we, we saw pretty uh, uh, black and white how Joshua did not go to the Lord, uh, how he did not seek the Lord's counsel in the circumstances of his life. I think Joshua would say, this is, this is something I wasn't always good at. It's going to the Lord and seeking his counsel. And I think if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we would probably say the same thing like Joshua. Man, I can relate to you, right? I don't always go to the Lord. I don't always seek his advice. I don't always seek his counsel. As I go through circumstances, some of those I just kind of feel like, God, I got this. I don't need you in these circumstances. And so we don't ask God before we move forward. But I think there's, there's more to this than just the concept of seeking God's face in every situation of life. That's true, that's a lesson that Joshua learned and was continuing to learn, and it's a lesson we certainly need to learn as well. But we see something change, I think, in Joshua, in his prayers, and something that, that maybe he had never done before or prayed this way before. He prays with boldness. A boldness that is unique, a boldness that I think is even required. We don't pray with boldness like we should today. Uh, We don't pray with the same kind of fervor uh, in desire for God to do things that seem impossible. And this is certainly an impossible situation, right? Because Joshua, what is he praying for? He literally prays for, uh, in his words, the sun to stand still. Now, from a modern scientific viewpoint, uh, we understand uh, that the sun doesn't move. In fact, scientists today say that the sun has movement. It's exploding. Like con- it's, you know, it's a fireball in the sky. There's a little bit of movement there, right? But we understand this, fifth grade science, right? The earth revolves around the sun and not the other way around. Uh, but to be fair to Joshua, we say things like this every day that, that don't make scientific sense. Uh, how many of you have said, oh, look at that beautiful sunrise? Go ahead, raise your hand. You've said that before. Everybody ought to raise your hand. How many of you have said, oh, uh, I wonder what sun, you know, what, what uh, the, the sunset is going to be like, or it's a beautiful sunset, or I wonder what sunrise is going to be if you're going out hunting and you're like half an hour before a shooting light, you know, you want to check those things. But we use this terminology, hear it on the radio, hear the weatherman talking about it all the time, the sunrise, the sunset. And while we say those things, they're scientifically incorrect, <laughs> right? Let's be honest. Uh, The sun does not set, and the sun does not rise, but it appears to be that way, right? It appears to be that way, and it certainly would have appeared that way to Joshua as well. But what is Joshua really asking God for? Uh, He is asking God for more time. Uh, How many of you have ever asked that very thing? Man, I just wish I had more time. (laughs) I wish I had more time to complete the tasks uh, that I want to complete in life. Well, this was Joshua. God, you have a task for me. You have a purpose for me. This is your will, and this is your your, your purpose for us. There is a task before us, and Joshua sees this opportunity to complete the task that God has given him, and so he asks God more time to complete the task at hand, and so he says, God, give us more daylight. What a bold, bold thing to ask from God. How could Joshua, how could Joshua, a man, a human being, have that kind of confidence to go before the Lord vocally 
uh, and verbally before uh, even his own people and ask God for something uh, so magnificent? How, how can we have that kind of confidence? Is that even possible for us to have that kind of confidence in prayer today for our circumstances and our situations? Well, there's two important things to really consider about Joshua's bold prayer. I'll just point them out to you, and they're kind of obvious. Number one is this, is that Joshua's prayer was in line with God's already revealed will, right? That what Joshua was praying was already something that God had revealed uh, in his will uh, to Joshua and the nation of Israel, that I want you, you're going to defeat them, not a single man is going to stand before you, this is my will, my will for you. And secondly, Joshua's prayer was in line with God's revealed promise. And so you got God's will, and you get God's promise. And so he's not asking for anything that's outside of God's will already. This is part of his uh, promise and part of his purpose. And that's really how we're to pray as well. That, that we would pray boldly, that we can pray with confidence and boldness to the Lord, knowing that, God, this is your will and this is your promise. Let me show you a few passages, and they'll be very familiar to some of you. First John chapter 5, the Apostle John says this in verses 14 through 15. He says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. You can have confidence to go before God. His, his throne room, to enter in as we pray and, and we go before God. We enter with confidence into his throne room because of what Jesus has done for us. And John says, you can have confidence uh, toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that uh, we have asked of him. We can have confidence that God is going to hear us and answer those prayers. Could it be, let me just pose this to you this morning. Could it be that we don't see God do extraordinary things in our lives today because we're just not praying boldly enough? Could it possibly be that God desires from you today, from us today, that we ask him for things that are bigger than us? Could it be that we just don't see it because we are not praying in a bold way. John says here that we can actually have confidence toward God, that we can, we can and we should ask him according to his will, the things that, that he wants to do already, that we would ask with confidence and boldness for God to do the extraordinary. How many of our prayers fall short? Because A, they aren't in line with God's will, number one, and two, they're not by faith. We just don't believe you see this concept in other areas. In fact, Jesus would say this in Mark chapter 11 and verse 23. He says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. There's, there's got to be some faith. There's got to be some confidence. So what you ask of God that's according to his will and according to his promise, that he will actually do it. But Jesus says, but believes that, that, that what he says will come to pass, it will be done. This is a prayer of faith the prayer for God to do the impossible. How often are we asking God to do impossible things? See, I think we limit God. I, I think we limit God's intervention in our lives because we just, we, we don't pray things by faith. We don't pray for God to do impossible things where he alone gets the glory from that situation in, in our lives. Listen, when you pair praying God's will with faith, you have some powerful praying potential there. I can only imagine today what the church in America could be like if we prayed with boldness. 
What could our world be like if Christians all around the world today had the kind of faith to pray boldly and ask God to do the impossible? Joshua prayed something boldly because he prayed according to God's will, and guess what? God intervened in a big, big way. Now, let's answer this question. Did the sun really stand still? Right, like, is this one of those, like, mm, do we just kind of, like, shove this off in a corner and, and, and not, you know, answer this kind of question? Was there more light in that day than normal? Did that really happen, right? Well, here's a little science for you this morning. I'm not a scientist, and uh, what I'm going to share with you, I'm not saying is the option. I think it's just one option, uh, and I will also preface this by saying we don't really know. <laughs> we can't know. Okay, but we can surmise a few things that I think are interesting. I'll give you just some information, and these are some some of the things that I've researched throughout this week. Uh, I had to go back to fifth grade science here, okay, and uh, refresh my memory. But the Earth revolves around the Sun. We know that, but it revolves around the Sun at an average speed of 17. Catch this! Catch this! 17 miles per second. We're cruising, guys. <laughs> We're flying through space right now, 17 miles per second. But, but here's the thing, that, that speed is not constant, okay? That speed actually fluctuates, and the, and the planet actually moves slower when it's at aphelion and faster when it's at perihelion. And I'll explain and define those terms here in just a moment. But I, what I want you really to key in on and notice is that the Earth's speed in orbit can fluctuate, okay? It's not always going the same speed. And let me define those terms. The words aphelion and perihelion, they come from the ancient Greek. Helios is sun, okay? Uh, means sun, and apo means far, uh, and peri means close. And so uh, aphelion is the point of the Earth's orbit that is farthest away from the sun. And there's a graphic here you can see that kind of uh, explains that here as well for us. Aphelion uh, is the point in time in our orbit, Earth's orbit, when we are furthest away from the sun, uh, and that is the point when we are moving the slowest, okay? So the Earth's rotation uh, and re- revolution slows down, okay? Perihelion is kind of the opposite. It's when we are closer uh, to the sun, which you can see it's on the right side uh, of that graphic there. But aphelion always happens uh, today in early July, and the scientists can kind of uh, discover kind of where we're at uh, during these times. It happens about two weeks after the June solstice. The Earth is furthest from the sun and moving slower, okay? Perihelion always happens in early January. It's about two weeks after December solstice, and the earth is closest to the sun. Now, you might be wondering, what on earth? (laughs) What on earth, right? Uh, Pun intended. Uh, What does this have to do with Joshua and Joshua chapter number 10? Now, we can't say for sure what month we're in in Joshua chapter number 10. We don't really have a time stamp uh, that that, uh, Joshua, I believe Joshua is the writer that he uh, doesn't really give us, but we do know that the nation of Israel crossed the Jordan, okay, on the 10th day of the first month, okay? That's Joshua chapter four and verse 19. You go back and check that out. They crossed uh, in the month of Nisan, okay? And that is really uh, March, April, according to our calendar. And so depending, depending on how much time lapsed between that crossing in Joshua chapter number 10, it's not unreasonable to think that it's possibly close to July and it's close to what? Aphelion when we are furthest away from the sun, we are moving slower. Is it possible that God capitalized upon that natural law and slowed the earth's rotation so there would be more hours in the day? 
I don't know. <laughs> but it's possible. It's possible that God did that very thing. There's all kinds of ideas about that very thing. But I think probably one of the most interesting things is the extra-biblical information that we have of other cultures actually speaking and recording about a day that was twice as long. Uh, as I said last week, there's actually ancient writings of other cultures, cultures around the world that speak to this. Uh, and here's a quote for you. It's reported by historians that records of the Chinese during the reign of Emperor Yao, who lived during the same time as Joshua, report a long day. So in China, they have a record uh, that states there was a long day that was twice as long. That's kind of interesting. Uh, Herodotus, a Greek historian, wrote an account of a long day that appears in the records of Egyptian priests. And so now you have Egypt, uh, and you have uh, these people in China that are recording, hey, there was a day that was twice as long. Uh, the historical lore of the Aztecs, the Peruvians, and the Babylonians also speak of a day twice its natural length. And of course, there would be uh, cultures that would speak of a night that was twice its length, right? Depending on where you're at uh, on the earth during this time. Uh, but this isn't the only time in scripture where time is halted or disrupted. Any Doctor Strange fans out there? Uh, time, right? You know, all kinds of cool stuff uh, in those movies. But this isn't the only time where time was actually disrupted. If you look at Second uh, Kings chapter number 20, in verses 9 through 11, we won't read the whole thing for time's sake, but Hezekiah uh, gets a promise from God and uh, basically gets the option of saying, hey, in, in order to confirm this promise, would you rather that the sundial goes forward 10 degrees or goes backwards 10 degrees? And Hezekiah, for whatever reason, says, oh, it's really not a big thing for the sundial to go ahead 10 degrees, but to go backwards, now that would be something. And so what happens is uh, Isaiah prays, uh, and the, the sundial goes back te 10, uh, 10 degrees, 10 steps. What happened? God literally turned back the clock, okay? So kind of interesting. But what's the point? What's the point? The point is this, bold prayer. Bold prayer by God's people. You see it in Isaiah, in Hezekiah's time, and Isaiah prayed this. You see it in Joshua's life, and really you see it all throughout Scripture. People who have the faith to actually believe and desire, God, I want you to intervene in my life, and I'm willing to pray according to your will, according to your promise, and ask you to do bold and amazing things. What could happen in your life if you're willing to pray that way? What could happen in this community if we as a church were willing to pray according to God's will, that God would redeem hearts, that he would change lives, that he would give life to people who desperately need it in our community. What could happen if we prayed boldly for God to do the impossible through this place? I believe God would do miraculous things. Are you praying boldly according to God's will? And so heed the command, believe the promise, move courageously, pray boldly. These are things we can do, right? These are not things that are outside of our abilities. Pray boldly. And here's the last thing we're gonna talk about this morning is that we would give God the glory. It sounds pretty basic and pretty obvious, right? But how often do we give the Lord glory in every circumstance of our life? You know, I think often we forsake or we're not even aware of what God is doing 
in our lives. Here it was pretty obvious, I think, uh, that God was doing something. I mean, you couldn't get around the reality that God was intervening on their behalf. I mean, you read verses 11 through 12, it says that God throws them into a panic, right? Uh, and then he throws these large uh, hailstones. Maybe they're, uh, uh, you know, actual hail. We don't, maybe they're meteorites. I'm like, we don't really know uh, for sure what they were. Uh, but notice what it says in verse number 11. It says, there were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons uh, of Israel killed with the sword. It was the Lord. It was the Lord who was fighting this battle. And it was the Lord in the end who would get the glory. Did you know that God deserves to get the glory in every aspect of your life? That God deserves glory for every good thing and every good gift and every blessing and every circumstance of your life, your health, your kids, your family, your job, everything you have is because of the Lord. And God ought to get the glory. And I think Joshua recognized this. I think Joshua was aware. I mean, how could you not be aware of what's happening here in this, this very visible battle? But Joshua is this leader, is, is willing to call it out. And I think we need to be willing to call it out as well. That, that I think people, uh, other Christians around you, and people who are outside of the faith need to see the glory of God in your life. And that we would actually be willing to call it out and to recognize it and to give God the glory. And so here's how Joshua gave God the glory. He prayed this bold prayer, right? Sun stand still at Gibeon. But notice what it says in verse number 12. It says this, that it says he prayed this in the sight of Israel. I don't know how he did this. I don't know how, you know, everyone heard him, but Joshua decides to not go into his closet, right? It's real easy to pray bold prayers in your closet because nobody else knows, <laughs> right? But Joshua in the sight of his army, maybe his captains, prays that God would stop the day and give them more light to accomplish. That is a bold thing to pray for. But why did he do this? I think it's my personal opinion that Joshua wanted the nation of Israel to be reminded of who deserves the credit, that who deserves the glory. It wasn't Joshua. It wasn't even the nation of Israel, but it was the Lord. And it says, uh, if you go further on in, in, in verse 14, Joshua reminds us the Lord fought for Israel. And you see that phrase repeated over and over and over again. The Lord fought for Israel. The Lord intervened. The Lord interceded on, on our behalf. In Joshua chapter 10, towards the end of, uh, of the chapter, in verse 42, it says that in Joshua captured all these kings, kind of concluding this chapter. He captured all these kings in their land at one time. Why? Because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. In the end, who gets the glory? It is the Lord. It is the Lord. He deserves the glory. And the greatest example of, of, of this and God's intervention, I think we have to go back to the cross, amen? That the greatest battle that has been fought was fought at the cross for you, the battle against sin, the recognition that, man, we desperately needed God to intervene. Had God not intervened at the cross for us, we wouldn't be here. We would be dead in our sins. We would have no hope had Jesus not intervened for us. We desperately needed God to intervene on our behalf, and he did at the cross for us. He sent Jesus, amen? 
to die on a cross for us, to bear our sins and to shed his blood in payment for our redemption. And he was buried and he rose again from the grave and, and, and he conquered sin and he conquered death. And it's the greatest miracle. Listen, it's a greater miracle than God stopping the rotation or slowing the rotation of the earth down. God is the, he is the sustainer of life. He can do whatever he wants to do. But the greatest miracle, greater than anything that else that we've seen in scripture is the salvation that God has secured for you and I. It's the greatest miracle. You want God to intervene in your life today? Listen to me, friends. It starts, if you're listening online or watching online, it starts at the cross. It starts with Jesus. It starts believing by believing in what Christ has done for us today. I'm gonna invite our worship team uh, back up as we get ready to close this morning. Spiritual intervention, it requires, or spiritual battles require spiritual intervention in your life and my life. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know the struggles of your heart. I don't know the challenges that you're facing in your life, but I'm sure, I'm sure there's not a person in this room today who would say, oh, I don't want God to intervene in my life. <laughs> no, we desire for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords to step down and he does. God didn't wind up the clock and just walk away. What we see in scripture is a God who wants to dwell with us. A God is who, who is involved. A God who knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. Uh, teenagers, he knows your struggles. He knows the challenges that you're facing in life. Adults, he, he, he knows that your fears of what the future holds about how long you're going to live on this planet. God knows everything that you think. He cares for you, and he wants to intercede on your behalf. This is who he is, and we see it all throughout the scriptures. This is a God who loves us and who cares for us. There's no greater, no greater example of that than the cross of Jesus. Nothing says I love you more than Jesus dying for our sins. What do you need to do today? What role, what part? Maybe are you forsaking? Are you heeding the command? Are you willing to, to trust and believe in the commands that God has given you? Just the, the most basic thing of, of God saying, do not fear your circumstances, but trust in my promises and know who I am and what kind of God I am and, and then move. Move. Are you moving, Christians? I mean, let me be honest with you this morning in, in the in, in the months ahead, we will be challenged to move courageously. We will be challenged to move forward or to go backwards or to stay stagnant. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a church that moves forward for Jesus, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's hard, even when there's obstacles, and there will be obstacles. I want to be faithful, and I hope you want to be faithful as well. But are you willing to pray boldly? Are you willing to give God the glory? Church, this is what we're about, and this is what we need to be and need to do today. I don't know where your heart is, and I don't know where uh, you need to change or make changes from today, but I encourage you this morning that you would leave here being a doer of the word, not just to hear. We're going to close. We're going to worship. We're going to lift our voices up to the Lord. Would you stand with me as we collectively do that this morning? It doesn't end here in this moment. If God has spoken to your heart, the challenge for us is that we would, we would heed that, that we would listen 
and that we would be willing to make changes in our hearts and our lives today. Would you worship with us this morning?